The following message is from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about LifeSource is available at lifesource.org.au. Wow. Well, if you have your Bibles today, would you open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6? Because we're going to continue our series on the God culture. The God culture. And, um, and this is all about getting your priorities right. right. That's the theme of this morning, getting your priorities right. You know, I've done a lot of weddings, and that's one of the joys of being a pastor, not only doing baby dedications, but doing weddings, going to weddings. And, and yesterday was uh, the wedding of Alice and David, as Anne has already mentioned. And do you know what I've noticed in every single... Now, I've been a pastor for 34 and a half years, And this is what I've noticed in every wedding that I've ever done or every wedding that I've ever been to, get hold of this, the groom is always on time. I have never, ever, maybe you have been to a wedding where the groom was late, but come on, has anybody been to a wedding where the groom was late? I've never been to a wedding where the groom is late. Now, I've done weddings where the groom has notoriously always been late to every appointment that he's ever made with me. But he was always, every groom that I've ever noticed has been on time for their wedding. I I especially was on time for my wedding because uh, I was keen, keen as mustard. I wanted this girl and I wanted her now. And, uh, but you know, the point is this, how can someone be notoriously late for everything in their life, but their wedding day, they're not late. And I really believe it's got to do with what you value. Everybody say value. Obviously, what the groom values on his wedding day is his bride. And so he has made his bride and his wedding that day his number one priority. And I really believe that that is one of the big lessons in life is that it doesn't matter what you have on your priority list. And everybody's got a priority list. Your real priority is what you value. And in actual fact, I can tell what your priorities are, not by what you say they are, but what you actually commit to because you will always commit to that which you value. You will always make room for your priorities, which are connected to your values. You will always make time for that which you want to prioritize, because it's what you value. And so, so girls, let me, let me just say, if, if, if a guy says, I really make you a priority, but there's no time, in his life for you because he's always busy with his mates. Can I just say to you that you're not high on the value list and it's time for you to press the eject button on that guy and find a guy that will make you a priority. So what if I married him? Well, bring him this this message and play it in his sleep. And... (laughs) And he will realize maybe, maybe other things are my priorities. 
Because priority is connected to what you value. So, so let's, let's read this scripture in, in Matthew chapter 6, because we're going to be looking at kingdom priorities. And let's start from verse 24. It says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we all know what God means, but mammon is the God of things. If you do, a, again, you know, a word study on mammon, it literally is the God of things. And so what Jesus is saying is that when you make a priority list, you can't have God and things at the top of the list. You either have one or the other, but you can't have both. And then, and then he goes on and he just explains how things can't be the top of the priority list. And he goes, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? And again, you know, I mean, in first century under the Romans, there's a, there was... A lot of poverty that was going on. A lot of people didn't have a lot of things. And so, yeah, they were really interested in food, drink, and clothing. Those three things were, were top priorities. And here's Jesus saying to them, they're important, but don't make them your top priorities. Don't make them the top of the list. And then he explains, he says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not? of more value than they. Again, you know, he's a, foc- he's a focal point, almost a set of parentheses about God's valuation of this world. And how many of you know that God values the animal kingdom? How many of you know that how many of you know that animals are valued? Now in God's face, he saved the animals in Noah's Ark. How many of you know that God loves animals. God loves this planet. And so should we. We should look after it. We should be, you know, the first of the people that protect animals and protect the planet. But then God says, but people in God's priority list are more valuable, are more valuable than animals, are more valuable than this planet. In God's priority list, people are at the top of the list. Then it goes on and he says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? How many of you short people are there? How many of you tall people are there? How many of you absolutely perfect heighted people are there? (laughs) I love that. I I just find it so fascinating how, how everybody is sort of, you know, sort of complains about they're either too tall or too short, too fat, too skinny, too this, too that, rather than saying, I'm happy. I'm just happy. And he goes on and says, does worrying change anything? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? After all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, here he goes, seek first, priority, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Here's Jesus saying, get your priorities right because if you get your priorities right, God will put the order into your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom priorities. So God lovers have kingdom priorities and their priorities are focused on what God wants for our lives. And, and what the scripture says is that in your priority list, where does God fit into the picture? Where is the kingdom of God? And so I'm going to share with you four kingdom priorities this morning very quickly. The first one is seek God. That's the first priority that this is all about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you know what a seeker is? A seeker is someone who understands value in what they're seeking after. So how many of you see you know, the, the gold prospectors? How many of you go to the beach and they've got these um, metal detectors and they, 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 they kind of feel that there's value somewhere in the sand and they spend time seeking for that which other people have lost to gain. You, you, you know, for me, I don't, I don't buy metal detectors to go seeking the sand of the beach. And the reason is because I don't put any value in that. You can always tell where people's values are because that's what they're seeking after. You seek after that, that you put value on, that you really believe that you can grab hold of. And so this is what kingdom people do. They put value on God, and so they're seeking after God. And so what, what we've got around this world today is a lot of people that put no value on God, and consequently, they're not seeking after him. So they're seeking after other things. There's, everybody is seeking for something. Everybody, I mean, uh, uh, some people are seeking for money. Some people are seeking for for materialism, some people are seeking for love. <laughs> I, I, how many of you have ever been to India? We've got a lot of Indians in our church. And one of the most fascinating things that I find in India is the newspaper columns where people are seeking for love. And uh, they, they, they actually stipulate who they are and what they do and their family and they even stipulate the color of their skin and everything is stipulated because they're looking for love. See, everybody's seeking for something. What Jesus is saying is make sure that what you're seeking for is the most valuable. And then the flip side of that is how Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, which is us. Because he puts value on us. 
And so in God's eyes, we're incredibly valuable. And I'll talk a little bit about this later on. So it starts with seeking God. Then the second priority is to love God. How many of you know that right throughout the Bible, there is this, what's, what's the first commandment? It's to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. Luke 10, 37 is, is very clear on loving God. And he said, uh, uh, just to love, to love God is very powerful. And, and then we move from loving God to trusting God. So, so trusting God is a very powerful force in life. Because how many of you know the scripture in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which is, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Again, you know, a lot of people want direction in life, but they don't understand that direction in life is connected with trusting God. Trusting God. And then the fourth priority is obeying God. And obeying God is, again, you know, one of the great principles of life. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience. And Jesus said, if you truly love me, you will obey me. So if you love me, keep my commandments. It's connected. You can't say, I love God without obeying his commandments. Okay, how does this work? Keep those four things up there, please, because those four things are all connected. They're all all connected. What happens when I was a kid growing up with Anne, it was number four that was the most important one. You've got to obey God. And so, and so we, we, we're brought up in pretty legalistic churches that was all about rules and regulations. And, uh, and it was just a scary time to be alive because in those days that they preached very strongly about the coming of the Lord was at any moment, at any time. My goodness, it could happen any moment now. There was a big thing when Israel became a nation, 1948, Israel became a nation. And so there's a Bible verse that says that a generation won't pass after the fig tree blossoms and bears fruit that that the Lord won't come. And so a lot of the Bible interpreters put down that the blossoming of the fig tree was Israel becoming a nation. And and they calculated that that a generation was 40 years. And so since 1948, then you wouldn't get to 1988 without the Lord coming back. And it was just, he could come back any time. Seriously, they were the, the Bible scholars of the day. That's what they had come to the conclusion, and so and so, back in the sixties and seventies, we we were just totally believing that Jesus would come back, but he'd only come back for those without spot or wrinkle. And he had to be holy, and 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 so, man, if you made a mistake, you'd miss out on it. My, my grandfather was one of these preachers. He actually believed that if you made one mistake before you died, you'd go to hell. That was it. Just no chance. And so he, even though he was a preacher, he never had the assurance of salvation. And so you've got to understand that as little kids, man, we, we knew that we were making mistakes. We knew that we were rebellious. And so every night we'd go to bed, I'd wake up in the morning wondering if the rapture would come, you know. And, and lo be tired, if, lo be tired if, if nobody was at home. I mean, if they wanted to play a real trick on me is that they could have all walked out of the house... <laughs> And, and John would be running around the house. Oh, no, I missed the rapture. Oh, no. Nobody was there. You know, seriously. I can still remember as, as a young pastor growing up, I'd have people phone me up just to find out if I was still around. Because <laughs> if I was around, they hadn't missed the rapture. You know, it was like that. Whoa, you know, I haven't missed the rapture. 
And so how many of you know that, that you can't flog that horse too much? Because people just sort of get to a point where obedience by itself is just too hard. So I put it at number four because I really believe that you can't truly obey God unless you first love him and trust him. So when you love God and you trust God, then obedience becomes easy. But let me tell you, if you can't even trust God, it's pretty hard to obey God. And I really believe there's a lot of defamation that's focused in on God. Everybody's got their opinion on God. And you know what? If you read the Bible and just pull out a little verse here and a little verse there, you can make a pretty strong defamation case against God. And there are the God-haters that do that. They pull a verse out of here and they pull a verse out of there and they make a strong case on how mean God is. But you know what I choose to do? I choose to read the Bible from cover to cover in context. And what I find when I read the Bible from cover to cover in context, I find an incredibly loving God and an incredible, trustworthy God. And so I've built a foundation of love and trust that's become my framework to obedience. And so I understand that to me, the best life is found in obeying God. And that comes out of my revelation of walking with God all these decades and finding that he is absolutely trustworthy. He is absolutely wonderful. He is absolutely loving. And so obedience is not tough when you understand that. But when you don't understand that, it's tough. We were talking about parenting earlier on. Parenting is incredibly interesting because it's based on trust. And so, and so, you know, my, my, my eldest son is 33 years of age. My, my, my daughter is somewhere younger than that. I won't tell how old she is because it's not nice to reveal women's ages. But Stephen's okay. He's 33. He's cool. And I keep reminding him that Jesus was crucified when he was 33. So if you can get past this year, you're doing well. <laughs> but I can remember the conversation that we used to have when they were young, you know, starting to enter teenage years. How many of you know they're the most interesting years, the teenage years? And so, I, you know, the conversations went like this. Of all the people on this planet, seven billion people on this planet, let me tell you who is for you the most, who is on your side the most, your mum and dad. There are no... There's no one else on this planet, nobody, no matter what they say, there is nobody on this planet that wants to see you successful, to see you have a great life more than your mum and dad. So this is the deal. We offer to you all of our wisdom, all of our resources, everything that we have to make you successful. And so whatever we say to you comes from that perspective. There's no other agenda. Now, this is the deal. There will be times in life where you will have friends come to you 
and tell you something contrary to the advice that we've given you. And it'll go something like this. What do your mum and dad know? What do your mum and dad know? They, they don't understand what we know. Come on, come and follow us and, and we'll have a fun time. Your mum and dad, they're just out to suppress you. They're just out to keep you down. But we're out to have fun. I said, it's at that time that you need to remember this conversation and trust us. How many of you know that that's like a Bible message? Because there's an enemy of your soul that wants to chase you down and say, what does God know? God's, God's only to suppress your joy. God's out to make your life miserable. If you follow me, I'll make your life joyous. But let me tell you something. That the enemy always promises what he can't deliver. But God only ever promises what he can deliver. And this is what the Bible says, that Jesus came in John verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10. This is what the Bible says, that Jesus came, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So his passion and desire for your life is abundant life, the best life, not a second best, but the very best life. But it's connected to trusting him, trusting him, obeying him. Hey, let me give you a parable on priorities. We've been doing kingdom parables while we've been doing this kingdom series. Let me give you a kingdom parable. Luke 14. This is the parable of the great feast. Luke 14. Let's read it together. Very, are you with me this morning? Okay, Luke 14. It says this. Now, when one of those who sat at the table, this is verse 15. When one of them who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. How many of you know the scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish people, understood that there was a day coming when the kingdom of God would be revealed and that there would be a great feast to celebrate that day. That's what they believed. And so this was the launching pad. And so Jesus then launches from that thought into this parable. And he says to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Everybody say excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. That's 10 oxen. A yoke is two oxen that work together. So he bought 10 oxen, five yoke, five pairs that work together. He says, I, uh, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you've commanded. And still there is room. I love that there is room for everybody. And um, 
Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come that my house may be filled. Can I just say here, make this statement, what you value, you prioritize. What you don't value, you excuse. Can I want to say that again? What you value, you prioritize. What you don't value, you excuse. You make an excuse. There's always an excuse. Remember, someone asked a farmer, can I borrow your rope? And he says, no, I'm using my rope to tie up milk. He says, you can't tie up rope. You can't tie up milk with rope. And he says, one excuse is as good as another when you don't want to make the commitment. It's so true, isn't it? That an excuse is a reason to not do what you're asked to do. And so people go through life making excuses all the time. And this story is about people who made excuses because they did not value what was offered to them. What was offered to them? What was offered to them was a ticket to the great feast, the feast of the universe, the great celebration of the universe, the kingdom of God feast. Oh, are you kidding me? You get a place at the table with the king to enjoy the feast of the kingdom. This is the entrance into heaven. There's, you know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be this incredible feast. It's the kingdom feast. The Jews knew about it. That was the launching pad into the parable. And he goes in and he says, bring them in. You just invite. There's been a, a chosen people that's on the guest list. And they were chosen. How many of you know that this is a real backhander? to the scribes and Pharisees that rejected everything that Jesus had to say. At the end of the day, that's exactly what was happening here. Jesus was giving them a biff up the nose and saying, you were the chosen ones, but you rejected the invitation. And now the rejected ones will be the chosen ones. The chosen are rejected and the rejected will be chosen. So there's, there's an underhanded uh, 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 reference there to the Gentiles becoming the chosen ones. Anyway, that's another story by itself. But see, these are the excuses that people make. I've got some investments and I've got to go check them out. I, made, I bought some land. I've got to go check it out. I've made some investments. Then other people have got work priorities. I, I, I bought the new tractor. I bought the new tractor to, to dig up the soil. Five yoke of oxen. Man, we are going to plant some crops this year. We're going to make money. I've got to go test them out. And then there's marriage priorities, you know, family priorities. I married a wife. I've got to go test her. No, it doesn't say about test her out. It's the other two get tested, not the wife. Okay, let's just get that right. <laughs> ah, just, he just, the excuses, I'm married, can't come. Full stop. Won't even go there. <laughs> okay. And then you've got the great twist. I love this. You've got the great feast, the great excuses, and then there's the great twist. And the great twist is forget these bozos and go for the, go for the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Go, go, go for the ones that nobody expects to be invited. All those that could dress up with great garments and, and come, you know, look at me, look at me, everybody, look at me. Forget them and go, go for the rejected ones. Go, go for the maimed, the blind, the lame, the poor. Go for those that are rejected, those that would never in their wildest dreams think that they could come. Go for them. And he says, yeah, they're coming, but there's still room. We'll, we'll compel even more to come. 
What an incredible thing where God places value on people. So much value on people. God places incredible value on you. But you've got to decide. You've got to decide whether you place more value on your sin than the kingdom of God. Because there's a lot of people that place more value on their sin. They won't let go of their sin. See, see, this is, this is the deal with God. He says, I want to remove your sin. I want to take away your sin. But you can't have your sin and God. You can't serve two masters. You can't have God and the God of things. Yeah, but, but I like my things. I like my things. And God says, no, nah, it can't be your priority. God's got to be your priority. But, but God, you don't understand. If I don't have my thing, I don't feel comfortable. It's my comfort blanket. I need my thing. And God says, the only thing you need is me. And if you've got me, there's nothing that you need. I tell you, for so many people, that's the hardest choice because they're hanging on to a thing that offends God. And we don't get it. We, we don't get it. We, we don't even get the fact that God can be offended. Do you know his first offense was at the eating of a piece of fruit? He said, are you kidding me? Is God that weak that he gets offended at eating a piece of fruit? That's how sin entered this planet, eating one piece of fruit. He said, but, but, but what's the big deal? It wasn't the fruit. It was the disobedience. It was the rebellion. It was, man, I've only asked you to do one thing. And you couldn't even do the one thing that I told you not to do. What's the go? Then I'm not the priority. The thing is the priority. And can I just say to you that kingdom people have made God the priority. Why? Because you value God. You've put your value on God. You've put your value, not the things of this world, but him. See, for me, that revelation is so deep that I almost find it difficult to understand why everybody wouldn't want to do this. That revelation for me is so deep, but I understand that not everybody's revelation is like that. So when God says, you can't have that thing, my attitude is, God, the only thing I want is you. That's all I want. Yeah, but that thing defines you. No, it doesn't. I don't want to be defined by things. I don't want to be defined by anything of this world. Anything I want to be defined is, is this. You want to define me? Call me a God lover. That defines me incredibly well. Why? Because God's my priority. And you know what I found? I found that, that when you seek first God, his kingdom, his righteousness, then all these things will be added not the unrighteous things, the good things, because God will separate the unrighteous things from you, but he'll give you the good things. And, and what you've got to do is get to a place where you just trust, where you just trust that the thing that God wants to remove from you is a poisonous thing, is a bad thing. You know, how many of you know sometimes kids, you, you'll find this, you know, you, Boo one day will pick up a sharp knife and think it's a good thing to play with. Has he already done that? He has. Okay. But those of you that have got wisdom, like Eve, she's got wisdom, she'll know that that knife is not a good thing for Theo to play with. Isn't that right? Exactly. I love that. 
And so you'll say, hey, boo, I want to give you something better than that knife, something that won't hurt you, something that won't damage you. No, I want the knife. No, I want my precious. (laughs) And we try to hold on to my precious only to find that it's deforming us. It's causing us to become ugly when God designed us to become beautiful. You've got to trust. You've got to trust that God says, let me take that from you so that I can give you something much more beautiful. Take away your precious to give you my precious. That's all based on trust. It's all based on, God, I trust you. I trust that you are the creator. I trust that your wisdom is higher than my wisdom. I trust that you will guide me through this life. I trust that you will make my joy complete. I trust that you'll make my life complete. I'll let go of the poison. I'll let go of the bitterness. I'll get let go of the resentment. I'll let go of the pleasures of this world because I trust you. And I'll make you my priority if you can get to that. That's when you become a kingdom person. And that's when God opens up to you the treasures of his kingdom. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.